Hello and welcome to The Entrepreneurs with me, Tom Edwards. Coming up on this week's programme, we hear from a creative visionary whose imagination and unique approach to textile design have been turning heads in the fashion industry. We literally had to build a brand and not only a clothing brand, but a brand in general to, to facilitate and carry the story. Plus, we check in with a regular voice on the show to hear about the power and potential burden of brand logos. Nike is about victory and it's about winning. He said, look, your issue here is the swoosh. It means the antithesis of why people do the sport that you're designing products for. This is The Entrepreneurs with me, Tom Edwards. A warm welcome to the programme. Our first guest is Bora Orkersdijk, the co-founder of By Bora, a Dutch textile company that's been making waves with its smart fabrics and boldly experimental designs. Bora's background as an industrial designer, combined with his passion for textiles, has led him to develop cutting-edge techniques for creating modular, sustainable garments that really blur the boundaries between fashion, art and technology. And I'm delighted to say he joins us in the studio now, Bora, a warm welcome to Midori House. Let's start at the beginning. Take us back to the start of the Bye Bora story. I met Arnaud in 2015. I was innovating in, in the world of textile for like a, a good seven, seven and a half years already. Well, traveling the globe, like uh, diving into the supply chain and, uh, and, and, and going literally into the nitty gritty. Um, but when I met Arnaud, that was the moment where it went from me in the supply chain to we in general, like working on the textile industry and building a company. And what I think is interesting is in the time since, and we were talking actually before we started recording about other people's views of what you do and how the business has changed. Um, the idea about genuine sustainability, really innovating, being more responsible, joined up with supply chains. This is now a narrative we're more familiar with. But in 2015, it wasn't, I mean, it's always been a priority of businesses, particularly those who are slightly more joined up in their thinking. But it wasn't talked about in the same way as a key narrative. It wasn't something, I guess, that consumers demanded from the brands that they liked in quite the same way. Well, I don't know, you're, you're smiling now. Do you, do you go along with that? Or do you think that it has always been a preoccupation? What, what was it that you guys both realised you wanted to do together? What was that moment of change? What, what sort of fired that? Was it just the chemistry two, between two, the two of you? Two different things. I think for me, it was realizing that you innovate for so many years and you get your taps on the shoulder and people give you thumbs up. You've been fly, flown around the world to, to, to do your talk, but you cannot afford your, your groceries. And I was like, wow, how can I have do all these innovations, be in all these great stages, work with all these amazing brands, but actually don't really get paid for it? So that was sort of how do you build a business? So I raised my hand into the industries like, what is my next step? And he was a good entrepreneur and already like sold his third business, like uh, came from the tech industry, from the beginning of the tech industry and understood um, very well that sort of things can come together. And in one of our first conversations, um, I told him like, well, you're born wrapped in textile and the rest of your life you're engaged with textile and this industry is not digitized. And he was like, wow, so there is a thousand billion euro industry that is not digitized. He was like, this is it. <laughs> 
So yeah, I think that was like a sort of his his switch to wow, like I can make an impact, and that was that was a start. But it, I think it was an, an an interesting switch how how we came together. So tell me a bit about then what that growth or that development, the evolution of the brand. Then what does that look like? Because obviously you work with loads of amazing partners, but you have your own kind of uh, brand and creations. You're the chief creative officer as well as being the, the co-founder how do you calibrate that growth story is it just about numbers i sense it's not it's about continuing to innovate how, how does that work and how important is it to have the right partners to work with to help you to to spread that to spread that message well the right partners are a stamp of approval we build a brand because in the world that we live in especially looking at consumer-facing products and the brands that are consumer-facing, it is important to have a name that is recognizable. You see that a lot of supply chain brands now also think like, hey, how do we brand ourselves? How do we become a branded content? Probably the most famous is Gore-Tex in our, our realm. So it is interesting to say like, well, how does your brand evolve? And at one point, we were like, well, we have innovations, we have materials, but how do we get them to everybody? How does people recognize them? Why are they good? How do we explain that? So we literally built a classic clothing brand, not classic, but a clothing brand, as a vehicle for showcase, because that is something everybody understands. If you ask a random person on the street and you say, like, what does textile mean to you? Or what mean, yeah, what, what are materials to you and they're going to look at you with glazes eyes and they're like what do you mean but if you ask them like what's your favorite brand they'll everybody will answer even that they will probably say like i'm not really fashionable but so it's it's interesting because it is such a commodity like you cannot start with the commodity because that's not something we talk about that's also not something we relate to because we don't think about it so we literally had to build a brand and not only a clothing brand, but a brand in general to to facilitate and carry the story. And that story was about understanding every step along the way. And that started with me being curious. But when you lay out any supply chain, every step has an interaction. And that interaction means something to the end goal. That means you can control and make it more fitted to the purpose in the end. And if you have 20 steps and you control these, it becomes a better product. And I think that for me was the start. And that was always also the no-brainer. The reality is that we need to have a profitable business. The reality is that if we are not recognized in the old world, we cannot dictate or educate what the future should be. So it is always that back and forth on... What would be perfect? Well, yeah. What What is circularity would be perfect if we would be as nature that cleans everything up after themselves. But we're not there. We're not even a bit transparent. So it's always like that. Where do I want to be? Where do I believe that we're going to go? How can I inspire? And then what's the reality of the day to day? A bit of pragmatism. Tell me, does that get challenged then? We talked about the collaborations with some big brands, thinking sportswear, for example. There are a different set of criteria that their decision makers are applying to their day-to-day business decisions. Often they're dictated to more by simple economics. Is that a problem for you or do you just like the fact that 
it's great you're having the conversation. If you can even move the needle by a fraction of 1% with a huge player, one of these sportswear giants, that can be consequential for the benefit of the planet or the benefit of prices. Is it, is it sort of worth it, even if they can't go as far as maybe you would like to push them to go? In the older world, I had so often that people say, well, don't work with that brand. It rubs off bad on you. Now I'm like, well, the future is not about who's cool or not. It is like, I think two things are very important. One is community. If a brand has community, that means they have engagement. Then I want to interact. And especially if they're big. If they want to work with me, they will work via our rules. So doesn't matter what they've done before. Every step they make with us will be better. So doesn't matter what their name is. Like, And that's the second part. So next to the community... It is platform. It's accessibility. And I believe everybody from day one needs to have access to better materials. If you're a student, if you're not even studying, if you just want to create something, you cannot call the best yarn suppliers in the world and ask them, um, can I have one cone? Loose from what you're going to do with it to make that textile. Any brand that comes to me now, loose that mostly the most innovative and the most like front runners find us because they look where we are at. And that was also what we've built in the beginning. So, and that is a chain reaction. It's a good snowball. And everybody that has, well, we do this because we've always done it this way are not looking for innovation. So it is automatically that you see that the top tier brands in each of the segments we work, works with us. But I will be open to any conversation if, they just are open to, to the new world and the new rules. If you, cre- if you have a water company that every bottle of water will, will add to better water in the world, are you going to exclude it from fast food chains? It's, it's so, and I find that hard. And that's a bit with like beyond meat and stuff, like what they do. So it's, it, it is what you said, like where can you make a big dent in a part of the world where maybe that's not there. But it has to come with education. It has to come with why are we doing it and and also what is the next step. It's not, oh, we'll tick the box with Baibora for um, being innovative and and, uh, being uh, responsible. Well, let's talk about that quest for innovation. You've mentioned your whole life, your career has been about traveling literally and metaphorically to find that to find that inspiration how do you go about doing that because presumably as you get busier uh, you have more time you've got to spend um, crunching numbers reluctantly or not and doing the the heavy lifting of running this this business how, how do you ensure that you're still challenging yourself is it by about traveling in the world um, exposing yourself to new uh, techniques processes materials people that you are not familiar with how do, how do you go about ensuring that you're still getting all of that exciting stimulus and exposing yourself to new new ideas to be honest in a few things i am good in a lot of things i'm not good building a business is the team around me and it's also recognizing what people are good at and what not. And, and they give me the freedom to search. They give me the freedom to, to explore. And for me, that is a lot of interactions with other humans, literally. Um, I'm not a good reader. So I literally need to interact. I, I, that's where I make connections that, I, that are maybe not for everybody logic. or like, and, and 
me coming here, starting this conversation, I know for sure that through this conversation, I'm going to be contacted and have conversations that are going to be interesting. So I think my team, my colleagues, they recognized that quality of me. And yes, I'm pulled into the business for for reasons. And I sometimes have to be out of my comfort zone, even like to do new business, to literally make sure that, that we get new clients. I think that friction is is healthy it also like otherwise i would get out of touch from the business what already happens sometimes so i think the better i understand the reality of the now in the business to create a healthy business and 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 financially viable and 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 growth is also to link it to the dream and where i believe we should go and the reality because the better you understand the reality also like you can frame the dream sometimes a bit better and a bit more understandable. Framing an understandable dream. I, I like that I like that a lot. Tell us a bit about the products. The products are the stars, of course, and all of the innovation that goes into every new fabric and new deployment. And that's obviously the exciting thing. Without giving any trade secrets away, because I'm sure there's always innovation in your kind of laboratory, small degree. What have you got exciting that's coming up that you could maybe tell us a little bit about? I think all the ingredients are open. And... And the superstars of the of the ingredients are the supply chain partners. I so often saw brands claiming like, oh, we have the new sustainable solution and rebranded the, the yarn and then made an exclusivity deal with the yarn supplier and then not giving it to the rest of the world. For me, that read like, we have a better solution for the world. The rest, F you... <laughs> Make mess, we're better. And I like that is like right everything that's not sustainable. So the main thing for me is like pulling up with all my my suppliers. So we're researching new suppliers all the time that we introduce. It is new machines because we have R&D uh, relationship with the machine manufacturers as well. And we're working on now on a new machine from one of the, the, the manufacturers, on, on in this case on single jersey to make certain things also more accessible. So I'm not really hiding anything like uh, on the background. I think at the moment what we are pushing and what you said, like, well, the materials are the stars. It is more how can we make it as accessible as possible? And I believed always total freedom is, is the dream. But if the reality is, well, I've never designed a textile and I always just select from a catalog. It is very far away. So we introduced Bibora Textiles last year where we said like, well, these are all textiles we designed that you can use. They have a transparent passport. They are uh, good for interior. They are good for fashion. You can immediately buy, uh, start from like already a small amount of meters. You can buy one sample meter or 50 or 100 meters to work with. And if you want more, you can up that. And that was a sort of entry level step. And that was for us also quite like the reality because we also look at the, at, at the monopolies position of some of the big textile companies and we're like, well, maybe we do now have to step up and, and not only be the, the innovative company that does small things, but also say like, well, you're doing the big bulk. But also that needs to change. So here is an alternative to that. So Bybora Textiles was definitely one of those. And I think Bybora Create, that is sort of the design tool, 
automatically is their next step because people buy the textiles and they're like, I like it though, but there's more people that can have it. And then it is the, so logic for them to say like, oh, you know what? We're going to dive in and do a little other color. And then, then I'm like, yeah, that's what we meant all the way. But uh, I'm so glad we're there, there now. Uh, we started off talking at the beginning about this, the importance of approval, or recognition from old established players. Tell me about what that approval and that recognition, that endorsement looks like, because now we have... Um, well, I'm sitting here. Well, yeah, this is this. You've got the, you have the monocle uh, stamp of approval. Of yeah, course. yeah, but like, but this is so important. And getting now that stamp of approval that we can sit down, that we can deep dive into what can we really do, what should we really do? Any brand that has textile can make a better impact. That's where we are at. And then monocle or a business of fashion or a New York Times saying like, well, this is the problem. We all know these are the headlines. But let's also, this is a solution that we can start with. And it's not the only one, but this is a great solution. Let's start with that. And that's the same how we are there. Like, we are not like the, the holy grail of fixing this problem. But we are honestly looking at it and saying like, well, this is a way to do it. And, and getting that stamp of approval means it is a solution for a lot of big brands that have no clue where to start. For us, we also need to be sort of recognized in that old world to get the traction, to create a sort of real change. And that real change, how we want to put it or not, is not just by headlines. That is by numbers. That is by substituting old textile that is intransparent, not good, by less but better textiles that we know that sell through better, are used longer. And that is all a reaction of those stories. That is a reaction of being on the right stage. That is a reaction on for all the people that are with their, in Dutch will say, their hands in their hair, don't know where to go. It's like the solution is here to start, at least. No, and it's great that consumers, I think, increasingly are in insisting that brands deliver on these kinds of narratives and values. What about the other frameworks that exist or are lacking, uh, Bora? With things like B Corp certification now, it's maybe a bit easier for even some big players to actually understand what meaningful change looks like. They can actually calibrate it, measure it a little bit. But we're still a long way short. Would you agree in terms of enough frameworks, enough common standards of best practice. Who do you think needs to drive that? Is that something that governments need to do? The private sector might do it, but maybe not fast enough. Where, where would you like to see more progress, more momentum? Well, all... All of the above. <laughs> all of the above. And and it is very important. I think the, the main thing is like marketing is a lot of times ahead for the wrong reasons. I always call it like spotlight marketing. Like, oh, they put a spotlight on one step and then it's, oh, look at us being this great. And then we're like, oh, yeah, this step, step is circular. And I think the main thing that we need to do first is just being transparent about mm -hmm. all the things. It is like, this is what I do. This is what I do well. And this is what I do bad. Anybody that has a solution for my bad, let, let's go. And start an, an honest discussion on, on what does success mean in our world. To get to transparency, governments can help to, to regulate the bottom, ask for, okay, there needs to be transparency where everything is made, otherwise it cannot be sold. If it is locally transparent, well, we can 
benefit them with tax reductions, all that, because transparency gives the opportunity to let people see what's happening, have a judgment about it, making of rules and regulations around it to do it better. I'm really interested in that point about what does success look like. Maybe let's... That, yeah, I'm having a personal hard time with that, what success looks like, especially when there's never been more young teenage multimillionaires that were not in Hollywood films or like like the sort of... or musicians, but they made it with their talent. That can be an app they built. That can be like something that they're selling, their own brand, whatever, because they have access. But the stress is like suddenly everybody sees like you have to be super successful and then is it financial success or growth? And that for me is like, I would love to openly debate if financial success, like it's, we see it breaks everything. Like, yes, being comfortable and being a bit more than comfortable if you do something well, yeah, I, I'm not against that. And I understand you can become a millionaire and stuff, but until what point, what do you need? But for me, success, if I look at the people around me that I think are very successful, they give access. They give communities wealth. They grow among us. And, and I would like to see the Times Top 100 of people that gave the most access, that gave the most happiness, that gave the, like a sort of what is other success than the quote 500. I, like th- my first question with some people that said like, well, I made five, five, fifty, five hundred million. Cool. On the backs of who and what? Did mother nature pay for that? Low wage countries pay for that? Like, and, and why are you entitled? to have that money. Well, and I can sense your sort of frustrations that this is not addressed fast enough. Do you think we are making enough progress? If we look at, I don't know, fashions and textiles, I mean, we kind of beat up these sectors a little bit on this programme from time to time because we hear often from innovators who say, I can't believe the scale of wastage and I can't believe the amount of water that goes into fast fashion garments and so on. We know there's work to be done, but are you seeing, Bora, over the last, you know, what, 10 years or so, sufficient change enough progress are there enough people who are buying into your different metrics of what real success and impact looks like or are we still just miles and miles away well the thing is like it is not about buying into like because there is loads of people that do great things but there is like what you said there is little legislation on the under and on the bottom where we say like well that we don't accept and it takes forever so i think it is more about like how can we stimulate doing less and better? And it is not about bashing what is bad. It is about celebrating what is good. This is a solution that we can work with. Let's look at all these solutions and let's make that the hype so that we do less. Bora, thank you very much indeed. That was Bora Ockersdijk and you can learn more about Buy Bora and all the ways they continue to shake up the textile industry by heading to buyborrow.com You're listening to The Entrepreneurs. Next up on the programme, we're heading 
to the Alps. Toblerone has dominated this week's news cycle after it was announced the company must drop the Matterhorn logo from its branding since some of the chocolate bar's production has moved out of Switzerland. This raised questions about how companies navigate issues that arise from the imagery associated with their brands. How do logos impact the message? How do customers react? What better time than to check in with a good friend of the show and an expert in this area, the co-founder of brand design agency Fresh Britain, Bob Sheard. It was a family snowboarding trip in the Alps that helped Bob figure out a solution to help one of Nike's specialist divisions with a brand problem stemming from their iconic swoosh logo. Here's Bob with more. It's a fantastic brand, Nike. The bit we worked on was Nike ACG, which was Nike All Conditions Gear, which was really helpful, actually, because I was um, trying to perfect the art of snowboarding. So I was able to put me and the family in the Alps for three months while we figured Nike ACG out and, and uh, gladly put some of the uh, guiding through the through the business's research. But basically, one of the issues with, with Nike ACG is it's about snowboarding and life in the mountains. The reasons why people do that, why people snowboard, is to experience things and it's to commune with other people and it's not to win things. Now, the mothership, the swoosh, the meaning of the swoosh is victory. The meaning of Nike is the goddess of victory. All the positioning around the mother brand is around the individual. So if you look at Adidas, Adidas is about teams and participation. Adidas is about the Corinthian spirit, and it's about teams. They have all the best teams in the world. Nike's about victory, and it's about winning. And that's the opposite of why people go into the outdoors. So what happened there is Nike had done a campaign called Crash and Burn, which is not why people snowboard. It's just kind of, and it was clearly written by some designers that hadn't got under the skin of the culture of snowboarding. What we did is we went back into Nike and we said, look, your issue here is the swoosh. It means the antithesis of why people do the sport that you're designing products for. But what you are is you're the world's biggest sportswear company. So what you can do is create the world's best worst case scenario. So what we can do is we can go into the best outdoor stores in Europe and we can say to them, look, you've got everything. You've got Patagonia, you've got Arcturix, you've got the North Face. But what we'd like to do is bring the world's biggest sportswear brand to you. And it'll be your worst case scenario in that we'll be delivering the highest specification product at the most competitive prices. And it's from the world's biggest sportswear brand. It's a kind of no-brainer. You have to have that in your store. So that's how we did it with Nike. In fact, with Nike ACG, we succeeded by removing all the emotional layers that Nike had very carefully built up in the other areas of their business and supplanted them with what was an emotional deficiency with functional superiority. One of the great stories of that trip was um, we took all the best retailers around Europe on avalanche training in the, in the Alps and we had this rickety old helicopter, really old one. We couldn't get a brand new one and it was it would it petrifying getting into it and so it was really nasty, about 50 years old and we had put um, Nike Air logos on it. <laughs> it worked, worked really well. What tends to happen is brands have successive owners and they have successive brand designers, creative directors, and they're all they're kind of in this business because they're quite ego-driven. So a lot of people want to put their stamp on a brand. And over successive years, those stamps end up decaying the original reason for why the brand has been successful. So if you buy a Georgian townhouse that's you know 200 years old and someone's come in and they've 
knocked through the kitchen to the dining room or they've popped in a you know a hot tub on the roof and then they've put a gym downstairs and gradually it the, the Georgian house is losing the integrity of what made it a beautiful Georgian house and so it's really helpful to actually strip back the brand to its original integrity and then project that into the future okay how do we project that universal meaning into the future um, and make sense of it and that's what we had to do with nike acg that was bob sheard co-founder of the innovative brand design agency fresh britain you can learn more about fresh britain and all the brands they've created designed and transformed by heading to freshbritain.com That's it for this episode of The Entrepreneurs. We'll be back at the same time next week. And in the meantime, do look out for Eureka coming your way every Friday. The programme was expertly produced by Laura Kramer with mixing and editing by Tamsin Howard. My thanks to them both, as always. And of course, thanks once again to Bora Ockersdijk and all the By Bora team. You can listen again and find out more about the show at monocle.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the magazine while you're there. Or you can follow us and catch up with the archive via your preferred podcast platform. If you want to get in touch, drop me a note or, better yet, email Laura. You'll find her at lrk at monocle.com. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye and thanks for listening to The Entrepreneurs.